guys doing good? Yeah. I'll try that again. You guys doing okay tonight? Yeah. Yeah. How, how many of you guys are tired? Man, I'm tired. But, I'm weak, but in my weakness, God is made strong. So that's a good thing. A really good thing. Aren't you glad you're his? I love some of the songs that we sung tonight. They were great. I love that one. He's the wind in our sails. Man, I need his wind from time to time to get me where I need to be going, don't we? I tell you, man, there's some tough stuff we go through from time to time. You know, our pastor spoke about that life is a grind. It is. It truly is, isn't it? I tell my kids, I've told them, and they're adult kids, and I told them when they were growing up, I said, life is tough, man. It's hard at times. It truly is. But it's good to know that God's always with us, isn't it? Really, really good. Well, I get to teach again, and I'm always excited about that. All right. I appreciate that. You know, I've got great passion for teaching God's Word, and I'm thankful that they let this old guy get up here from time to time. I really am. But I always kind of like to recap tonight. We're going to be looking, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 14 through 30, John chapter 7. But I want to recap again a little bit in John chapter 6. I did teach a portion in there, but it's the longest chapter in the book of John. And uh, it's where Jesus fed the 5,000 people. Wouldn't you love to have been there and seen that happen that day when that took place? We see Jesus walking on the water. I remember, hopefully you remember me kind of bringing Peter in the thing that he was willing to at least risk something and get out of the boat. And sometimes we just need to get out of the boat, get out of our comfort zone. In John chapter 6, he talked about being the bread of life, one who satisfies our life. You know, I think recently on the news there's been a couple, you know, suicides that are out there. And I tell you guys, the only thing that satisfies our life is Jesus It's not money. It's not anything else. All those people have that kind of stuff. And I tell you what, it's Jesus that satisfies our life. Truly, yes. That's coming from a guy that's walked with him for since 1971, a long time. And he's still satisfying my life. And I thank him so much for that. In John chapter 6, Jesus' words were hard to accept. And some of those people that followed him, his disciples, they finally said, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Why? Because it's a challenge. And I was thinking about it. It's a challenge to obey God. It really is. Don't think this guy's been walking with Jesus a long time, that it's not a challenge to follow him and to be obedient to him. It is. It's not easy at times. It's hard. It truly is. But it's worth it. And then in John chapter 7, we see in verses 1 through 9, which really kind of between 6 and chapter 7, there's about six months that's there that everyone headed on down for this great festival. And it was the festival of shelters or booths where, they, where, where the Israelites, they, they built these shelters. They went tent camping is what they did. Not trailer camping, tent camping. And they would celebrate this and have this great feast because of the provision that God gave them in the wilderness. That desert took care of millions of people for 40 years. And it wasn't that that desert did it, but it was God, because that desert didn't have enough to supply their needs, but God did. He is the great Jehovah Jireh. And then we see as we're moving into chapter 7 that there's growing opposition of Jesus' ministry. You know, there's great popularity they had, but now he's moving into this section where the Jewish leaders are plotting to kill him. And they're plotting to kill him because of the Sabbath healing that he did a while back. 
And his brothers are pressuring him to go do miracles. He's up in Galilee, and I don't have a map up there tonight, but I think you can get this in your mind. Galilee is up here, and most of his ministry was up in the northern part of Israel. And now he's moving down into Jerusalem. And his brothers are pressuring him. He says, get on down there. If you want people to know who you are and that you're the Messiah, get down there. But the amazing thing about it is that Jesus didn't really bow to their wills, and he doesn't bow to our wills either. We can ask, but if it's not God's will, he's not going to do it because he knows what's best for us. And it's amazing that in verse 5 of that chapter that, that his own brothers didn't believe in him, but later on we see them up in the upper room, 120 of them, they finally come around to believing in Christ. And some of you guys that are here tonight, you have people in your family that don't love Jesus, that don't know Jesus. You got to pray for them. You got to pray hard for them. And Jesus kept saying, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. Well, what does he mean by that? He was saying that, look, it, it's not time for me to die yet. That's coming, and it's going to come shortly. He also told him, he said, look, guys, the world hates me. That's what Jesus said. And there's scripture in the Bible that says if we're living the way that we're supposed to live, people are probably going to hate us too. That's why they don't like us as Christians. There's some other reasons for that too. But because as Jesus was the light, his, his light shined upon the darkness and it didn't comprehend. And, and the light of our life, it exposes sin. It truly does. And that's not saying we don't have sin. We do. But the world doesn't like that. It truly doesn't. And he finally takes off and he goes to the feast. And we'll kind of get a little bit more in that tonight. But he didn't want to go down with this massive exodus of probably thousands and thousands of people because he knew that the religious leaders were waiting for him. They were going to get him and they were going to kill him. They were plotting to kill him. But he realized that if he traveled a little bit kind of incognito that he might quite make it there. It's an amazing thing about what happens that, you know, uh, people were uh, divided about who Jesus was. And Jesus divides families. My father's passed away now, and I'm telling you what, there was a big division in our relationship because I love Jesus, and that's how it was going to be. And that happens to us in our life. That doesn't mean I didn't pray for my dad. I prayed for my dad. I, I, I didn't even listen. I didn't even know he passed away. And I was still praying for him, that he'd come to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. But it divides people. It really does. People were saying he's a good man. He's, he's a person who deceives. Josh McDowell wrote this book a long time ago. Some of you guys that are older, you might know it. Uh, it was evidence that demands a verdict. And he said Jesus was either a liar, Lord, or he was a lunatic. C.S. Lewis said a good man doesn't say he's God. He said crazy people do. You know, people out on the streets are, you know, they'll say they're God. Well, he was Lord. That's who he truly was. And people were afraid to, to take a stand for Jesus, said in verse 13, just before what we're going to look at tonight, because they were going to be ridiculed and they were going to be cast out of the synagogue because of that. It was going to cost them to do that. Fear keeps us from, from speaking up from time to time, doesn't it? That's what fear does. Let's all stand up. We're going to honor God's word. Jesus tonight begins to speak openly. He begins to say that he's sent from God, that his message is from God. And we're going to look at the Sabbath a little bit. We're going to look at the law. And 
we're going to see that Jesus begins to confront these religious rulers that are out to kill him. Verse 14 and 15. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Verse 15. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. Let's pray. God, help us tonight to, to learn, to grow. I really believe that you want us all to grow. We never come to a place in our life where there isn't areas in our life where we need growth. We ask you, Holy Spirit, we know you're already here tonight, and we pray that you would take the words that I speak, Lord, and you bring life to them. You plant them in my brothers' and sisters' hearts. You plant the seeds. Help there be much, much fruit that would come out of their lives. As always, give us understanding. Give us clarity, God. Help us to have a revelation, maybe. Maybe we'll hear something new tonight. We ask all these things in your name. And they all said, amen. So Jesus begins to teach in the temple. And it's amazing that he waited about halfway through that festival. The festivals would usually last about seven days. There were three big festivals that they would go to that would head on down to Jerusalem. And he just wanted them to kind of, I don't know, there, there was a lot of hype that he was coming to town. In other words, Jesus was trending at the moment. I pick up my phone from time to time and I see this stuff. I don't know what it is and it says, this is trending. And I go, I really don't care that that's trending. But at the moment during the festival, Jesus was trending. He was coming to town. They knew he was coming to town. And like I said, he kind of snuck in about three, four days later, and he begins to teach in the temple because that's what rabbis did. Jesus was referred to as a rabbi from time to time. He was a teacher of God's word. Uh, he didn't wear the same clothes. I think I got a picture up here. I asked Odie to kind of put him together. There's Jesus. You guys know that looks like Jesus, right? I looked like that when I was younger in the Jesus movement. <laughs> and then, can you put on the, uh, uh, the religious leaders? There they are. Dressed a little bit different, huh? They got a little bit more flashier clothes and stuff. But Jesus definitely was a rabbi. But he didn't wear the same things. He knew the word. And wasn't it amazing as we read that, that people were surprised. They marveled and they wondered at the educated style of his teaching. The way he spoke the words of God that were out of the scriptures that they had, they would roll them out and they would use to teach. They didn't have a Bible like what we have. And it's amazing that later on, when you look in the book of Acts, the disciples, they said the same thing about them. These guys are a bunch of fishermen. Listen to the way they talk about the word of God. It's an amazing thing. It truly is. They were kind of wondering... Where did Jesus get this kind of training? They were questioning, and this is what they were really questioning, his credentials. See, those Pharisee guys that were there, and that's kind of one on the right there and Jesus on the left there, they, they, they had a, a doctorate in theology. Jesus didn't have that behind his name. He came because God sent him. He didn't go to the rabbi schools like Paul the Apostle did. Paul was a a very intelligent man that probably knew the scriptures better than anybody of his day and age. And what these rabbis would do from time to time, they will always quote the other rabbis that were out there. Jesus didn't do that. He quoted what God said. That's what he did. But Paul did have a great knowledge. He really did. Pharisees, you know, 
had that doctorate of, of theology, and they were full of spiritual pride. That's really what they were, full of spiritual pride. Did you know that 1 Corinthians 8 says this, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies? King James says it puffs up. It puffs up. Jesus is parents probably taught him the scriptures when he was young because Proverbs 22, 6 says we're to train up our children in the way of the Lord. Parents, that's your responsibility. It's not Journey's responsibility to do that. We're here to help you through all of that, but it really is your responsibility to train them up in the way of the Lord. Give them the scriptures. Pray with them. When something happens in their life, point them to this. Point them to the scriptures and say, hey, this is what the Bible has to say. What was he teaching at this time? I don't know. John doesn't write it down. He really doesn't. I kind of wish he did, but maybe he was saying the same things that he, that he said at the Sermon on the Mount. I listened to that today, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Didn't read it. I'm kind of lazy to read it, but I listened to it in the audio. Wow, he said some powerful things, and I'm going to tell you what. Most of the stuff he said to, he kept referring back to the law. He said, you know, the law says this. I'm going to tell you what I'm saying and what God really wants to say about this thing here. Well, let's go on. Verse 16 and 17. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It's not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do, now listen to this, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Where did Jesus' message come from? He just told them. It's not mine. It comes from the Father up above. Jesus' teaching was so different from all of the others. Very, very different from all of the others. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 28 and 29 in the Phillips translation, I think we've got that up there. It should be there. It said, when Jesus had finished these words, and listen, this is in the Sermon of the Mount. At the end of all that he said, took three chapters. As he finished these words, the crowds were what? Astonished. At the power behind his teaching and his words had the ring of what? Authority. Authority. Quite unlike those of the scribes. I don't use a lot of Greek words. I don't know a lot of Greek words. But this word here I know. Exousia. I heard it when I was a young believer by a great man of God that used to teach the scriptures. And it has stuck in my head. That's authority. That exousia, and we'll talk about that a little bit over and over and over again. When those Pharisees would get up there and teach, they didn't have that. There was no power behind the words if they spoke. There was no power there. But when Jesus spoke, it was powerful. It cut them to their heart right here where it's supposed to hit. The Jewish leaders and the crowds were wondering where he got his message. What was his source? And he told them. He says, hey, listen, I get it from God. This man was not, he didn't have any formal educational teachings. He didn't sit under some of the great rabbis at that time. But he knew the word. Boy, did he know the word. Listen, teachers of the Bible, and for us young, for the young guys that are teaching or anybody that stands up and teaches God's word, I want you to know something. You need to rely upon the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not on your education, but with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that is, that is in your life. I was thinking about Christian 
uh, sem sem seminaries and stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. They don't make great teachers. They don't make great preachers. God does. He does. Some of these great men of God that you hear speaking and some women of God that speak, I'm going to tell you, they are God-made. And I'm not, I'm not saying throw out, don't go to seminary, don't go to Bible college and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that, but I want you to hear what I'm trying to say. It's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's where that authority comes from. That's where that power comes from. Peter had that exousia on the day of Pentecost when he preached to 3,000 people. Again, they're going, who? This guy's a fisherman. Listen to the words he speaks. It just cut him quick, right to their heart. Peter was filled what? It said with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was sent by God. It was a heaven-sent message. It was divine. It was spiritual. It was life-giving. And it was life-changing. And all those things need to be part of when the scriptures are taught. The Old Testament prophets were sent by God. We're, in, we're talking about Elijah, man. That's my hero. I like that guy. In the Old Testament, he, he's, he's, he's the prophet that I really, really like. Those guys were sent by God with a message, and sometimes the message wasn't too easy to deliver. It was tough. But they came with the authority of God. Some were received and some weren't received. Remember, Jesus sent out his 12 disciples in Matthew 10. He sent out his 70 or 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10. Here's the Great Commission. Look at this. Matthew 28. 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority, that's at exousia, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's you and me. It's not just the church staff. It's the church. It's you guys. All of us are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and then he adds this, and be sure of this, I am always with you even to the end of the age. Listen, this great commission, it wasn't just to his, his disciples he was speaking to, it's for us. He says, I give you that exousia. You have that same authority that he gave to his disciples. Isn't it interesting in verse 17 that Jesus says, you can verify where my message comes from if you got to look for ifs, buts, and those kind of things in the scripture. He says, you can verify where my message comes from if it truly is from God, if you want to do what God's will is in your life. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? He's kind of saying, you know, if you really want that relationship with God, if you really desire to get close to him and, and really have that deep relationship, you'll know that my message is not my own. It comes from him. It comes from the Father. Verification. The whole North Korea thing. What are we saying? we got to verify. We can't just say, oh, yeah, we'll take you at your word. You know, we've done that before. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't quite work sometimes. you got to verify. you got to verify. And that's what he's saying. You can verify this. If you really want to know his will, you'll know that it's not my message, it's his. Verse 18. Then he says... Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves, but a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. 
Jesus points out kind of the difference. He says, a man who comes and just speaks on his own wants attention for himself. But a person who really wants, you know, to uh, honor God, you know, you're going to know there's a difference there. They're pointing them to God. I said this before when we went kind of through John, that, that John the Baptist, he says, my, you know, my ministry must decrease, that his ministry, Jesus's, must increase. He pointed his his Disciples, as a matter of fact, he told a couple of them, just take off. You want to go with Jesus, go. Good leaders always point people to Jesus, not themselves. Never to themselves. Remember the Pharisees, they always wanted people to hear their prayers. Remember that? They make a lot of noise and make sure that everybody's watching as they're giving their money and doing those kind of things. See, they were in it for themselves. That's what they were. Verse 19 and 20. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you are trying to kill me, he says. Verse 20, hey, losing lights. Uh, verse 20, the crowd replies, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Well, that was kind of weird, huh? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Are you cutting me down? <laughs> uh, he kind of slams them right between their eyes. Those guys that were dressed up the way they were, those religious leaders that were up there, he just slams them right in the face is what he does. But, you know, I was, I, I was really thinking about, and I was praying about oh, my message, and, and I heard the Lord say, I loved them. I loved them, but I still kind of smacked them right between the eyes. That's what he does to us because he does love us, doesn't he, from time to time. It was a powerful statement. You know, the Bible needs to be obeyed, not just quoted. Needs to be obeyed, not just quoted. A lot of you guys might be able to quote a lot of verses and stuff like that, but boy, when it comes down to can you obey it or not, that's where the rubber meets the road. And what they were doing is they really were a bunch of hypocrites. James, Jesus' brother, and it says that you know we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Jesus knew that they wanted to kill him. See, that's the weird thing about it is the crowd didn't know what was going on. Jesus could see some of those religious leaders, and he knew they were plotting to kill him. At any moment, they wanted to grab him, and they wanted to kill him. And he says, you're trying to kill me. Well, guess what? Is it murder against the law of God in the book of Moses? You better believe it is. They knew what he was doing, and I really believe that Jesus was trying to get them to examine their hearts. To examine their hearts because their hearts were evil. Look what Jeremiah says, verse 17, or chapter 17. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. You have a heart, I have a heart. And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, searches all hearts and examines secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Ouch. That's not a good one. But our hearts are deceitfully wicked. I don't care how long you've been knowing Jesus. I don't care if the blood of Jesus is washed. It's, there's still some wickedness caught up inside of it. I hate it. I hate it with a passion that I'm still, you know what I mean? That I'm not perfect. I hate it. My wife points that out from time to time, but no, I'm just kidding. But the crowds yell out, you're demon-possessed. You're demented. You're demented. You ever had a non-Christian friend of yours say, man, you're just crazy. 
You Christians are all crazy. That's kind of the same thing about what they're saying. That's okay. That's a good thing that they say that about you. We're crazy for Jesus is what we are. They don't know that someone's trying to kill them. It's kind of like, you know, behind the scene, no one knows what's going on with all of our politics and all that kind of stuff out there. We don't even want to know. And I, I just don't even want to know about that. Verse 21 through 24, let's look at this. Jesus replied, I did one miracle, and that was back in John chapter 5, on the Sabbath, and you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath too when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. And then it says this. Jesus says, actually, this tradition is what he says. This tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. For if, if the correct time for circumcision, circumcising your son, excuse me, falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing on the Sabbath? And then verse 24, he says this, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. He kind of starts talking to a little bit about the Sabbath because they were all hung up on the Sabbath. The Sabbath this, the Sabbath that. Jesus healed a lame man who had been afflicted for 38 years, and he did it on the Sabbath. And when the religious leaders looked at that, they criticized him because as they looked at the law, they were saying to him, you're breaking the law. You're not supposed to do any kind of work at all on the Sabbath. And Jesus looked at that man. Remember, it's the guy at the pool and stuff. And he says, I can't get in there and get healed. He says, hey, pick up your stuff and get out of here. You're healed. Go away. And that's when they first started to plot against him to kill him. They didn't like that. The Pharisees did work on the Sabbath. When? When they did circumcision. Do you know that the Bible, that God spoke to them and told them to circumcise their kids on the eighth day? Well, why? Why on the eighth day? You know why? Because there's less blood. That's why God told them to do it on the eighth day. So what do you get out of that? Listen, if God says something, guys, and our culture says something, I think we ought to listen to God because he knows what he's talking about. When it comes to anything that's out there, go to the scriptures and say, let's see if the culture, what they're saying, matches up with God's word. And a lot of times it doesn't. So you have to rely upon God's word. It's amazing. I did a little bit of study. I won't talk too much on this, but, you know, doctors, it usually takes about 10, 15 minutes to do it. And both my grandkids got it done. Usually you see, like, teary eyes and all that, and they want to do it before they even, you know, take off and go home. I was learning when I did some studying that the rabbis can do it in about 15 to 30 seconds. I think that's where you need to go, go see the rabbi. But he also tells them, he says, look, you know, this whole thing happened even before the law. God spoke to Abraham. He says, I want you to circumcise. Genesis chapter 17. They were so concerned with their legalistic traditions. Remember the washing of all the water? You know, I did that teaching on, on the first miracle in Cana of Galilee and all of those water pots that they turned into wine. Those were all for their traditional washings. And all. That wasn't in the scriptures. But they were so hung up on, on all this legalistic stuff. Listen, this is what legalism is. It's a, uh, it's a strict adherence to standards, to rules. I should have put it up there, but I didn't. Standards, rules, and regulations to try and secure salvation. That's what it is. 
That's what religion has. Religion has rules, regulations. It has standards that you have to live up to. It's unfortunate it does that. Religion and legalism, you know what they bring? Death, darkness, and despair, usually. That's what they bring. It's a terrible thing, guys, to be bound up with a legalistic thing that you got to do this, you got to do that. I got to go to church every Sunday. You don't have to do that. We'd love to see you every Sunday. Well, you're going to make it into heaven whether you go to church on Sunday or you don't go to church on Sunday. It's for your benefit. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling together as some do. It's a good thing to do that. Listen, the law was not meant to turn us into legalistic religious people. Never was intended to do that. You know what it was for? You know what the law of God was for? You read the book of Romans and it says... It, it is such a great book to teach on. It's a tough book to teach on, but it's a good one. The law of God was given to show us that we're sinners, and we cannot make it on our own. We can't. We're a sinner. You look at that and go, oh, my gosh. I'm a sinner. That's what I am. Matthew 5.20, Jesus said these words, and, and we'll I'll speak a little bit of this. Says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're looking at it going, what? Jesus told him I'm supposed to be better than the Pharisees? He's telling you you'll never make it. You aren't going to do any better than these guys do it because they do it better than anybody, and they're not even going to make it. It's not by the things that we do. It's relationship. Galatians 3.24 in the New American Standard says this, Therefore the law has become our tutor, our teacher, to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Justified by faith. It's our faith. Receiving God's grace. It's not rules and regulations. And then in verse 24, and I'm going to do a little table talk with you guys here. He said, don't judge by appearances. He says, but judge things rightly. You know, we've heard you can't judge a book by its cover, right? A person's motive, what's inside their heart is really, really hard to discern from time to time, isn't it? It's difficult. So what I want to ask you guys, just real quick, I don't think there's really a right or wrong answer. I just want to ask you, why do we judge by appearance? Why do we judge by appearance? Speak to one another about that. Take a little bit of time, and then we're going to wrap this thing up pretty quick. Let's go on so we can wrap this up. Verse 25. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public, and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly, possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how could he be, they say? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes... He will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. Is Jesus the Christ? That's what they're wondering. Is this guy really Christ? He's making so many claims. He's saying things that, man, he's either got to be a liar or a lunatic or he's got to be the Lord. He's got to be Christ. He's speaking so boldly and these religious leaders, those guys, that want to kill him are doing nothing. They're doing nothing to go after him. That's why they're beginning to believe that, that maybe 
just maybe this guy is the Messiah. It's very interesting, too, in verse 27, the Jews had a wrong belief. They truly did. It wasn't a biblical belief, but they really believed that he would just come out of almost thin air. I think we were talking about that even Sunday, weren't we? We talked about that Sunday. That was their belief, that he was going to be this man of mystery, and all of a sudden just poof, just show up. Well, the Bible never says he's going to do that. It truly never did say that. The Bible told where his birthplace was going to be. It told what his lineage was all about. It talked about his death. And you want to know something? These religious leaders could have looked at Jesus' life, and it all matched up to that. Why? Because he truly was the Messiah. Verse 28 and 30, and we'll close it up. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out. That, that word there is cried out, and it's like with a loud voice. It's the same word that he used when he was on the cross being crucified. I mean, his voice was loud where everyone could hear it at this time. And he says to them, yes, you know me, you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, talking about God the Father, and you don't know him. But I know him because I come from him, and he sent me to you. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because what? His time, the time of his crucifixion was not yet to come. I mean, Jesus kind of rebukes these guys. That's what he does. He goes, yeah, you know me. I'm, a, I'm from Nazareth. I'm a carpenter turned preacher. You know, I don't have that that." doctorate of theology behind my name. I don't have the credentials you think I'm supposed to have. But he's saying, it doesn't matter. The Father sent me. He sent me. And that's why I'm here, because he sent me to you guys that don't want to believe in me. I mean, he's pointing his finger at them. And in verse 30, they get ticked off. They get irate. Paul the Apostle was one of these guys. Why do you think he was going around killing all the Christians? He didn't like what they were saying. And they all of a sudden try and grab him. But guess what? It wasn't time yet. Six months from now, it will be the time. Because that's when he becomes the Passover lamb. He wasn't to die now on this festival of booths or shelters. He was to die to become the Passover lamb of God. Listen, we're to take this message of Jesus to our dying evil world. That's why you guys live in this world. That's why I live in this world. Billy Graham said this. He said, I am convinced that the greatest act of love we can do is to tell the world about God's love for them in Christ. He's given you and I that same authority, guy. By this time, you should know the word, exousia. He's given us that authority to take his message to our world. And the Holy Spirit, as always, he's always ready to help you and I relay God's message to this world. You don't just do it on your own. He'll help you. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. He'll give you the courage sometimes to say the right thing to a person. And we need to take a stand for Jesus. You young people, I know it's a tough thing, man. I got saved, I was 19 years old. I was a teenager, and I took a stand for Jesus. It was the greatest thing I ever did. All of us need to take a stand for Jesus. We need to speak his love to this world. 
Christians hurt this world so much by the hateful words that Christians say and the actions that they do. That's why the world doesn't want to listen to us, guys. They really don't. We need to love this world one person at a time, right? Just like Journey is doing. And that's not always that easy to do. Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness. And isn't it great? We're singing about kindness tonight. God's kindness, what? Leads us towards repentance. I repented because God's love came into my life. Exodus 34 says this. He says, the Lord, he's the compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger like a heavenly father should be. Abounding in love and faithfulness Maintaining love to thousands or to generations and generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Let's pray. I thank you, God, that we serve a loving God. The God of the Old Testament was still a loving God. Jesus, you came here to this world to show us what love is all about. You gave your life up for us. That was the greatest act of love that you could have ever, ever, ever done. We thank you so much that you fulfilled the law, that you died on the cross. You did it all for us, Lord God. You're the Lord of the Sabbath. You've given us the Sabbath as a, as a day of rest for us. Thank you that being a Christian, Lord, that it's, it's a relationship. It's not rules. It's not regulations. It's not all of that it's just a relationship. Help my brothers and sisters and help me to just live a life that always honors you, Lord. That people look at our life and they say, there's something different about those people. I don't know what it is, but I want to know what it is. Thank you so much for your word, Lord, that it gives us life. Thank you that we are yours, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.